want to pause and thank our worship team, our IT, our security folks, uh, everyone who, when, when you guys were uh, not here at home watching, but not here, they were here faithfully. Sometimes uh, after hours, through the week, they do that anyway, but uh, you kind of you kind of dismiss the fact that, you know, I don't just show up and, and these things happen or the worship team just, there's a lot of work, a lot of practice, a lot of rehearsal, a lot of tweaking that goes into all that. So let's all pause and thank the folks that make it happen for us. Can we do that? Yeah. Also, uh, tomorrow, I believe, is Pastor Mike's work anniversary with us. He's not here today. He's off at a conference. Uh, so what I want you to do, and I know, I know he's, he's not listening to this. I want you to flood his inbox with emails. What you doing, Mike? We're glad you're here, Mike. On Wednesday, it's hump day. Hey, Mike, Mike, Mike. He's going to like that so much. We do appreciate Mike Borton's ministry at First Baptist Church and uh, thank him for blessing us with that ministry, working hard, and looking forward to many years in the days ahead with Pastor Mike. Um, we're go- I'm going to do something this morning that I have never done before. Never done before. And I, I sat down and thought about it. Uh, I've actually been preaching uh, this coming March, this coming March, uh, 41 years, and 29 years this year as a pastor preaching, and I've never done this before. I'm going to reboot a message series that we started last week. Uh, We were streaming online exclusively last week, and we had, to say the least, some technical difficulties. So if you were online with us, you only caught about, uh, well, some snippets of the service and maybe a third of the sermon, and you were probably thinking, wow, he really didn't preach very long, did he? That was was pretty short. Uh, No, we just had some technical difficulties, and our wonderful IT folks have, have wrestled with those and taken them to the mat and gotten those things fixed, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, and I just had it on my heart. If I had praying about it this week, a lot. I spent one day doing nothing but praying about this and felt led to restart, reboot the message series. Um, because it, it, God has something to say to us. And we don't want to neglect that. And our and technical difficulties should not prevent us from hearing uh, what God wants to say. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to reboot a message series about healing hurts and building healthy relationships, knowing that we are, we are going to come back together and more in, in more force uh, with, with less limitations as time goes on. We anticipate coming back together and look forward to doing that. We need to be ready for that. And one of the ways to get ready for that is to heal hurting relationships in the body of Christ and build healthy relationships, which is what God calls us to do anyway. Uh, I'm reminded of the pandemic that this pandemic is compared to so often. That's uh, the Spanish flu of 1918. Uh, The Spanish flu of 1918 uh, ultimately took over 50 million lives across the world and something like 675,000 lives in America. It was a terrible epidemic. Uh, And at that time, many similar things took place in churches that take place today. Uh, churches suspended in-person worship. 
during certain periods of time when the flu seemed to be increasing and, and on the rise. So what pastors did at that time with the lack of an internet, uh, what pastors did is, believe it or not, a lot of them went to outdoor services. People coming up outside and worshiping together outside when the weather permitted. They also did something that a lot of pastors had never done before. They started publishing sermons in their newspapers. So they would go from the spoken word to the written word and they would publish their sermons in newspapers and they encouraged their church members to meet in very small groups, especially if they could meet outside. They encouraged them to meet in small groups. This all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Well, this will sound familiar also. There were some pastors that refused uh, to disband or suspend any kind of in-person worship. They refused to follow any precautions. And not surprisingly, much like today, many of those churches, thankfully not all of them, but many of those churches uh, suffered an outbreak within the churches that impacted many in the congregation and many of the families at large. Other pastors went exactly the opposite direction. They refused to bring their people back together at all, even with precautions, until the scientists said the flu had passed. And the Spanish flu took about two years before everything would get basically back to normal. One of the things that happened is Christians stepped up, much like they're doing today, as our church does with the food boxes and the bags of hope, and many other churches with many other avenues of ministry stepped up in that context for that time. And one of the ways that churches did this, particularly in Minneapolis, was reaching out to orphans. There was a church in Minneapolis that learned there were orphans from the pandemic. They were called epidemic orphans. Both parents had died during the Spanish flu. So these churches adopted children in the orphanage. They, they took it upon themselves to take clothing and food and supplies to the children in those orphanages until they could have a home. And as a result, some Christian families adopted children that were epidemic orphans as a result of the Spanish flu. A lot of that does sound familiar. And thank God believers behave that way in the context of a pandemic. But you know what's very, very different from 2020 in 1918? Social media. Social media has the potential to bless and the potential to blast. It can be one of the best things for us in communicating and loving on one another and even evangelizing. And it can be, be one of the worst things to do harm to our relationships. And I have a deep concern that when the time comes that we are able to uh, undertake the ministries that God gives us, new ministries, some will fade away, new ones will be started and have been started, like connection groups and bags of hope. And when the time comes, we can, we can come back together without limitations in worship. My concern is that we will have hurt our relationships so much on social media and online that we won't know how to serve together any longer. We won't know how to heal those relationships. And, and some of us just won't come back. Others will come back, but they'll keep that hurt to themselves. Or maybe those battles will continue. Is that what God wants? God wants believers to demonstrate that we love one another and that more than ever, we will be ready to be back because we've been building healthy relationships, not breaking down relationships and hurting relationships, but building healthy relationships during this pandemic. So the body of Christ will be even stronger when that time comes. If you have your Bible with you, find with me again 
Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And mark your place there. We're going to be in Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. We're going to be right there, focused right there, this week and in the next two installments in this message series. Before we read the passage this morning, I want to give you some insight and review again with you the way the Apostle Paul thinks and the way he writes. The the letter of Romans was written to the church in Rome by the Apostle Paul, but he had not visited Rome at all before he went there. So, or not visit that church before he went there. So he was very careful, and it's a very systematic, thoughtful, theological, and practical book, and gives us great insight into the way he thinks. But it also, uh, as with all of his letters, the book of Romans, the letters of the Romans, follows a pattern. The Apostle Paul always unpacks what we believe before he tells us what to do. Just about half of every one of his letters, all but one in fact, Start that way. They tell us how we believe, what to believe, and then how to practice what we believe. Why would he do that? Because Paul knows the way God wired us. The way God created people is that what we believe always dictates how we behave. What we believe always dictates how we behave. Whether it's what we believe about money, what we believe about relationships, what we believe about God, what we believe about children, what we believe always dictates how we behave. It dictates our practices. So the Apostle Paul will teach deep theological truth and then he'll say, now here's what you do with it. And then he'll do it in microcosm fashion. And In Romans chapter 12, we see him doing the same thing. If you're a Christian and you've read Romans chapter 12, you're very familiar with the opening verses Where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't believe what the world believes because that will cause you to practice what the world practices. If you want to be a follower of Christ, be transformed in what you believe by the renewing of your mind, which happens in your relationship with God, in prayer, and in the Word of God. And a consistent submission to God. So he begins right there. Remember, what you believe dictates how you behave. So be sure God is shaping what you believe. Then the next thing he does in Romans 12 is to talk to believers about spiritual gifts. Which are gifts God has given us to apply to the church. So he goes with what you believe to what you need to understand about practicing your faith within the body of Christ. And exercising your spiritual gifts. And then he goes next to character traits. And that's what we're going to read. Character traits that God helps you apply in your relationships to the body of Christ. In the passage we're going to read, the whole passage, Paul actually unpacks 13 different ethical imperatives. Things we must do. And they're in a, in a Greek verb tense that means once you start doing them, you continually do them. You, you will always do this. This is always God's will for believers. Sometimes we ask, what's God's will for me? And we often mean by that, what does God want me to do in a particular situation? I'm trying to make a decision, what does God want me to do? But what we overlook is, God consistently tells us what His will is in our character. Because our character will determine our behavior. What we believe shapes our character. That determines our behavior. So God is constantly telling us, this is my will for your character. This is what you should be like before you do what you do. This is the person you should become. 
And starting in verse 9 of chapter 12, Paul shows us these 13 imperatives that will help us understand how we can heal our hurts and build healthy relationships. So this morning, first, we're going to read the whole passage. We're going to read these verses together, these imperatives, starting at verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. Look there with me. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will, re, you, will heap, uh, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Now you can see similarities in those ethical imperatives. And they're sort of a loose uh, grouping in Paul's mind. But he, and you can see his, his thinking just flows. But they do connect. And the way they connect is they give us practices in the Christian life, character traits that can be practiced in the Christian life that will help us heal hurting relationships and build healthy relationships. So we're going to isolate a couple of verses this morning and look first at the way that the practice of love will help us heal relationships and build healthy relationships. Return for a moment where we started, verse 9. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters and take the lead in honoring one another. Look at verse 13. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. God calls us to practice Christ-like love in the body of Christ. It extends beyond the body of Christ, but first and foremost... God calls us to practice Christ-like love in the body of Christ. And practicing Christ-like love will help us heal hurting relationships among believers, but most especially it will help us build healthy relationships among believers and be even more ready to serve and to minister together. Go back to the passage with me. Let's look at this together. I want you to see, first of all, the character of Christ-like love, the character of this love that we are called uh, to practice with one another. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy. The word translated love, and that opening uh, salvo of his ethical imperatives, is the common Greek word uh, that Christians know as God's love, agape. Uh, it refers to selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. When you practice that love, it should be without hypocrisy, Paul says, because you are mimicking God when you do that. that. That's God's love, and God loves without hypocrisy. To put it another way, God always has a bias for the truth. 
So when God loves you, when He says He loves you, He loves you without pretense, without assumption, and without hypocrisy. It, It means very simply, when God loves you, when He says He loves you, He just loves you. That's what He means. He's always telling you the truth. And Christians should practice the same way. When we tell our brothers and sisters in Christ, our siblings in Christ, hey, I love you in Christ, but then on Facebook we trash them, or in the hallways we gossip about them, that's hypocrisy in our love. If we're going to love like Christ loves, when we say, I love you in Christ, that means I just love you. No strings attached. It's the truth. I love you. No pretense. No back hallway mutterings about you. I just love you. And I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. And Paul says first in this character of love, that it's without hypocrisy and it's Christ-like love, he says, let me extend that a bit. And let me tell you what that actually looks like. Detest evil and cling to what is good. Because that's what God does. And it's an expression of God's love that he detests evil and he clings to what is good. And what does that mean? The word translated detest is a very strong word. And Paul's trying to get a point across. Hate what God hates. That's what he means. Hate what God hates. Don't let it into your life. And don't let it into your relationships. God hates sin. He loves you. He loves people. But he doesn't tolerate sin or tolerate evil. Now that's the negative side of it. And by this Paul means, unlike what you hear a lot in our day and time, if you really love somebody and truly love them the way God loves them, you don't do that by denying sin. Now it doesn't mean you chase them down and you're harsh with them and you fuss at them constantly about their sin. What it just means is, if we sin, if I sin and you're my sibling in Christ, and I bring it up to you, you don't say, oh, well, that's okay. You know, I love you. Don't worry about it. You say, yeah, you're right. That's sin. But I love you. Yeah, you're right. That's sin. But, but I love you. And I'll pray with you. And I'll help you through this. But unlike the world teaches, sin is sin. It just is sin. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. And God despises sin and evil. And if we truly love like God loves, we do too. That's the negative. The positive is cling to what is good. The term means be wedded to good things. Advance good things in the body of Christ. If we love one another without hypocrisy the way God loves us, we advance good for each other. We do good things with each other and for each other. We want to see good things happen in one another's lives. We can see sin and and confess sin to one another, but we don't leave each other there. We move each other forward. We want to help one another grow in Christ. Cling to what is good because that's how God is. That's how God behaves. The character of God's love should resonate through the body of Christ. That we love one another so much we always want the best for one another. We want to help each other be forgiven and grow and leave bitterness behind and heal those relationships and have better relationships, healthier relationships. And stronger ministry with one another as we move forward in Christ. That's the character of the Christ-like love God calls us to practice. How do we practice that? He shows us five ways in this passage. In the verses we read, 
five ways we can practice that character of love. First, practice selfless love. Practice selfless love. Verse 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. What Paul's saying here is what he says in many other places in his letters. Put the other person first. That, that's God's way of loving. That's the grace we just sang about earlier. God puts us first. Jesus put us first. We put one another first. The phrase love one another deeply is more literally be devoted fully to one another. Your siblings in Christ. You are passionately devoted to their well-being and to loving them in Christ. That's what it means to love one another deeply. Now here's an interesting thing. This is a different word for love in the Greek language. Remember verse 9, the word is agape. It's God's umbrella term for love in the body of Christ. Now Paul shifts to the term phileo, which refers to brotherly friendship or family love. Now, don't draw too stark a line there, because what Paul means is, all of our love in the body of Christ comes under the umbrella of God's love. And how we love one another should always reflect God's love toward us. But here he's just getting more practical. So this is what your family love as the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters as the body of Christ, this is what it should look like. And the first thing it should look like is selfless love. You put the other person first. In fact, he says, take the lead in honoring one another. Be proactive, be intentional in letting the other person go first. Love on them first. Rather than think, well, this is what I want, think, what do they want? What's best for them? That honors them, that respects them. Can you imagine what the body of Christ would be like if all believers were constantly going, how can I love on that person? Not, what can I get out of this, but how can I love on them? How can I put them first? How can I think more highly of them than I think of myself? That's what he means. To love one another that way. To honor one another that way. First Baptist Church of Salome, thank you for doing that. All this time during the pandemic, you've shown that you honor one another in a very simple way. You know how you did that? You wore masks. Well done. Because sometimes, I know for a fact, because I know you, God bless you, I love you, but sometimes you're wearing masks thinking, I don't want to wear this mask. I don't need to wear this mask. Maybe you're even thinking, it's way too hyped up in our culture. Why should I wear this mask? You know why you're doing it? To honor one another. You're doing it for that person. And maybe it's just one. But that person who says, I really want to come to in-person worship. I sure do wish they'd wear a mask. And they arrive and there you are. Yeah. Not because it's about you. But because it's about loving one another deeply. And honoring one another. Putting each other first. Practice selfless love, Paul says. Second, Paul says, practice generous love. God's grace, God's love is lavishing. It's generous. God is unloading love on us all the time. Generous to us. So Paul says, here's how you can practice that. Share with one another. Meet the needs of the saints. That's one way you do that. And then you pursue hospitality which is a practice of sharing with the needs of the saints. So first, you, you, you care about each other's physical and practical and material needs. 
You're, and you do that generously. Don't get hung up on the word saints in this. In the Bible, the word saints doesn't refer to specialized or super spiritual Christians. The word saints in the Bible just refers to all Christians. All people that are saved in Christ, in the body of Christ, are becoming holy, which is what the term means. They are saints, the people of God. So with one another, we share and meet one another's needs. Then he gives a specific example. Pursue hospitality. In Paul's day, hospitality, that is taking care of someone else, was necessary, even mandatory among Christians. And he's writing this to the Roman Christians to remind them when other Christians come their way, you need to house them, take care of them. The term translated hospitality means love for strangers. You don't necessarily know this brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you never never met them before. They've traveled all the way from Judea to Rome, from Myrtle Beach to Shalot. But you have an opportunity to bless them, show love to that stranger because you are siblings in the body of Christ. And Paul doesn't just mean do it accidentally. Paul says pursue hospitality. The term translated pursue is very strong. It means hunt, chase after. Look for opportunities to intentionally practice hospitality among believers in Christ. Look for opportunities to intentionally meet the needs of your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Look for opportunities to intentionally be generous to one another in the body of Christ. Practice generous love to one another. Then Paul says, third, practice proactive love. Practice proactive love. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now he turns his attention outside. Uh, There are people out there in the world, he says to the believers, and and we're talking about love in the body of Christ, so those people out there, they're kind of hard on you. You're going to think I'm saying you don't have to express any kind of love toward them, but that's not true. You need to do what Jesus did and what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I know you're wondering, what does the word bless mean in a very real way it just means be good to them it also means speak highly of them speak highly of them can you imagine now in our context when you think about persecution usually we think about it as out there somewhere and we're concerned the church will be persecuted religious liberty might be threatened or removed and that's a very real concern but in paul's day when christianity was new and spreading Persecution could mean arrest. Persecution could mean ostracism in the marketplace. You don't get to buy food for your family. And the list could go on and on, and it could accelerate and escalate in your relationships with people who are not in the body of Christ once they found out that you were a Christian. And Paul was saying, speak highly of them. Say something good about them. And do it in their, to them. It also means you can pray for them, You can speak highly of them to God. You can lift them up to the Lord. Let God take away uh, that that anger you have for that person that's unkind to you because you're a Christian. And let me make that point. Persecution is not just somebody not being nice to you. Persecution is somebody attacking you because you're a Christian, specifically because you're a Christian. So Paul says, bless them, pray for them, speak highly of them, find something good 
to say about them in a conversation when that other believer rallies up and starts running them down say, you know what, but they did this, this, and this, and they were pretty good. Yeah, I know them, and they're not all bad. They're, they just need to know Jesus. That's their main problem. So he adds to that, bless and do not curse. Not hard to figure out, curse is the opposite of bless. So speak highly of them, say good things about them, do good for them, pray for them, don't run them down, don't refuse to pray for them, don't be the instigator of problems against them. Be, be proactive and even look for opportunities to bless them. Look for opportunities to bless them. Patrick Green, uh, is a gentleman who lives in Texas, has been an atheist most of his life. And uh, several years ago, he filed a lawsuit against his county for the nativity scene that was placed in front of their courthouse. While the lawsuit was going on, he became quite well known, and he did uh, uh, interviews in the local media, uh, but he also found out he had to have eye surgery. Now, Mr. Green was a cab driver, and this particular eye surgery meant that he would not be able to uh, have his job. He wouldn't be able to drive his cab or take care of his family or buy food. A lady in a local church heard about this, told her pastor about it. The pastor called on the phone, atheist Mr. Green, and said, hey, we've heard you're going to be out of work for a while because of your eye surgery. Can we help you? And Mr. Green kind of scoffed at first, but he said, well, sure, we're going to need food. And how about 50 bucks? Just to see what the church would do. The church raised $400. It was a small congregation, but they raised $400, and the pastor sent it over to Mr. Green and said, here you go, get yourself some groceries. Mr. Green later said it was like the twilight zone had suddenly opened up. He said in his whole life, Christians had never done anything good to him or for him. And suddenly this little church said, let us buy your groceries while you're out of work. You know what he did? He rescinded his lawsuit and he bought a star for the nativity scene. He didn't accept Jesus, at least not at the moment. He gave the star to the church, to the Christians, and said, I'm giving it to you, but you got to plug it in yourself. Hey, they made an impact on him. Why? Because they decided to bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Practice selfless love, generous love, proactive love. Practice humble love. Practice humble love. Number four, rejoice with those who rejoice, Paul says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. He said, that, that sounds pretty easy. Actually, it's not. You know what Paul's saying, body of Christ? Paul's saying, do not be envious of people when things are going well for them. Rejoice with them, even in the body of Christ. Social media makes this even more difficult for us because social media trumpets all the wonderful things everybody's doing, all the stuff we buy, the food we eat. We take pictures of that. The trips we take, everybody's kids on social media are awesome. No problems with our kids, our grandkids. Everything's going swimmingly. And we look, and, and then we log on and we look at our friends' pages and we cringe and think, why can't I have that? Why can't I do that? And we feel envy start to rise. And God says, you know what will combat envy more than anything else? You know what will combat that bitterness? Keep it at bay? Sending a message to your friend and saying, I'm so excited 
you got to go on that trip. I am delighted you got out and about. I know how much you needed to be able to do that. I just want to rejoice with you. The term means share joy. I want to share joy with you. You're having joy in your life. I want to share joy with you. Because it means when your time comes, they'll share joy with you. And you know what else it means? It means you trust God with your situation. See, when we look at each other and we are envious and we let bitterness grow and and feelings get hurt because so-and-so's got a better appearance in their life than we do, what it means is we don't trust God for our future or for our problems. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It'll really help your relationships. Pray for your siblings in Christ that things go well for them. And when things are going well, bring that to the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, for blessing their life. For blessing their life. Then last, Paul says, practice compassion. Practice compassion. Weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. Believers in Christ, if we are going to be like Jesus, we have to practice compassion. It's the number one trait of Christ. We're told over and over again, he had compassion for the people around him. Compassion means that we hurt when they hurt. If we love them and love one another the way God loves us, that means that we will weep with each other, pray for each other, care about one another's needs and hurts. Uh, and, and come alongside each other and, and and build a body, a healthy body of Christ that's humble and compassionate, that shows love for one another by caring so much. If, if my, my sibling in Christ is brokenhearted, going through a hard time, I want to love on them. I want to do good for them. I, I detest the bad things. I want to advance the good and love on them selflessly and generously the way God has loved on me. Practice compassion. It's it's God's love that you practice. Uh, A lady named Linda is uh, a bus driver in San Antonio. Excuse me, San Francisco. She's a bus driver in San Francisco, California, in the transit system there. And Linda is one of the most popular bus drivers in America. She really is. She drives bus number 45. Uh, And let me give you an example of the kind of things Linda does. Uh, One time Linda pulled up to a stop and there was a lady named Ivy there with a bunch of packages and and Ivy was a senior adult and struggling to get on the bus. So uh, what did Linda do? Did she say, hey, you need to hurry up? No, she hopped off the bus, went down there, picked up Miss Ivy's packages and helped her get seated on the bus. Before she moved, she made sure Miss Ivy was all settled down and her packages were secure and then she drove on. You know what? Ivy will ride no other bus today but bus 45. One day, one day, Linda was driving and she saw a young lady under one of those bus covers at the bus stop standing there looking at a map and trying to figure out where she was, where she was going. She pulled up to that stop. She opened the door. She flagged the lady over, introduced herself. The lady said her name was Tanya. And Tanya, as Linda suspected, was new to San Francisco and really didn't have any friends or family there. Uh, well, was getting ready to start a new job and was kind of lonely and alone. So Linda befriended her, and even before they got to the first stop on that bus that day, Linda invited Tanya to Thanksgiving dinner with Linda and her family and her kids, and to this day, Linda and Tanya are friends. Over and over and over, Linda blesses people. People have come to where they will only ride Linda's bus. 
She's constantly telling people that she loves them. And at the end of every route, when everybody's off and getting ready to get off, she always turns around and she says, this is it. God bless you. I love you. And then she starts all over again. People have gotten to know her so well, they give her presents. They know she likes to wear scarves. They give her scarves. They let her use their vacation homes for free when she needs to go somewhere and relax. How does all this come about? I mean, think about it. A transit bus driver in San Francisco deals with cranky people and gum under the seats and dirty aisles. Where does Linda get that? You know where? Every day at 2.30 a.m., before she has to leave the house, she gets up, gets on her knees, and she prays. Because she's a believer in Jesus. And she's a follower of Christ. And that bus is not a bus. It's a community of people who need to know Christ and His love. And they need to know that Jesus loves them through Linda. That's how she thinks. Oh, you can imagine how the world would respond if we love the world the way Linda loves the people on her bus. But that's not my question. My question is, why can't we love each other that way? Why can't we love one another that way in the body of Christ? What's going on? God loved us that way. And we need to love one another just like that. You say, Pastor Bob, that's hard. Of course it is. But God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. It's not hard if He does it through you. It's hard if you try to do it on your own. And Jesus did that for you. He loved you that way. And He still does. He still does. As we wrap up, I want to challenge believers in Christ with this very simple message. Let's love each other like God loves us. Let's practice the character of love in our relationships with one another, online, in person, wherever we are. So when we come back together, we'll be building healthy relationships and mending any hurting relationships. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're in the room or you're at home this morning, I want to remind you, God loves you without hypocrisy. He just loves you. And when God says He loves you, He means it fully and absolutely generously, selflessly, sacrificially. God loves you that much. The Bible says Jesus died on the cross for your sins even before you knew you were a sinner, even before you ever heard of sin. God died, Jesus died on the cross for you so that when the time came and you would repent of your sins, you could trust Him as your Savior and all the work would be done for you to come home to Christ. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for believers first. That we will practice the, the love of God in Jesus Christ, Christ-like love. And for those of you who have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to pray for you that today would be the day you acknowledge what Christ has done for you and the love of God in Christ without hypocrisy that He comes to you and that you would receive Him as your Savior. And I'll pray a prayer in just a moment to help you do just that. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we pause in a moment, God, help glad we are for your grace again how thankful we are for your love love that's truthful love that's complete love without hypocrisy father you love us just because you love us god how we praise you for that father i pray for the body of christ that that's how we would love one another 
we would love one another honestly, truthfully, put one another ahead of ourselves, God, and, and let the world know that we love one another. And then, God, I pray we would love those outside the body of Christ as Christ has loved them as well. Help us to remember each person that's never trusted Christ needs Jesus first and foremost, that we would love them like that and take the gospel to them. And Father, for those that have never trusted Christ that are listening in this morning or in the room today, I pray today would be the day, God, their hearts would open up, that you would show them, Father, their, your love for them and what Christ has done for them. I, I pray this prayer, God, for those who would pray with me this morning to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. Jesus, I repent of my sin. Please come into my heart and into my life. Forgive me of my sin and give me a home in heaven. Father, we commit our lives to Christ today. And it's in his precious name we pray.